this is not a thing that we're used to thinking about. And it takes some practice to get your brain to wrap around it. And indeed, when I teach this, my students always get very upset. And I just have to accept that I'm going to have a lot of grumpy faces for a while. <laughs> so they blame you. That's, that's right. Exactly. It's my fault. <laughs> Welcome to What the If. I'm Philip Shane, a filmmaker of documentaries. And with me, once again, back from the future, Professor Matthew Stanley. I informed our listeners that you were on a special trip to the future to explore how some of the ifs turned out. That's right. It's a little ironic to send the historian to the future, but you do what you got to do. <laughs> it makes your job in the future very easy. Yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was there, and I can tell you that's not how it happened. <laughs> Look at my iPhone. Look at my Facebook feed. <laughs> All right, very exciting episode today. We're going to get right to it. The mailbag. The mailbag. The bag of mail. The bag of mail. Bring up the truck. Beep, 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 beep. I think there's actually a truck backing up outside my <laughs> office window right now, so if you can just amplify the background. Yes. <laughs> it's been so long uh, since we did our previous mailbag episode, which is actually one of our most popular episodes, interestingly huh, enough. Weird. And, uh, um, yeah, we ba- it's, it's, it's a mail truck today. That's how much we've got. Uh, nice. Here we go. Our first item from the mailbag comes from Bob in Greensboro, North Carolina. And Bob says, Hi guys, I was... Del- uh, his subject, subject, new listener, message. Hi guys, I was delighted to stumble across your podcast series. I'm a retired systems engineering geek. Yeah. Excellent. NASA, uh, for he, he's worked for NASA, NOAA, and the DOD. Oh, wow. That's cool. Uh, systems engineering geek turned writer. And I chose your Kepler's Planets podcast for my first listen. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and will share it with my social media peeps. Thank you, Bob. Uh, several decades ago, HP, Hewlett Packard, used a what if advertising scheme. That's interesting. I have been using that expression since about puberty. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe HP stands for whole lot of puberty. I don't know. Uh, Mm. I have... (laughs) Hewlett puberty. I have been... uh, Bob continues. I have been fascinated and blown away by all things natural science in my whole life. Next month, I am checking off the first of my bullet list items by spending an evening in an observatory. Oh, cool. Yes, so cool. Spending an evening in an observatory with a retired astronomer. I suspect this will whet rather than sate my appetite. That seems likely, yeah. Yes, yes. You will need another bucket for your bucket list. 
Oh, he, he said bullet is interesting. He said bullet list items instead of bucket. It's because he worked for the DOD. He just <laughs> slept, slept revealed a secret there. Uh, I'm looking forward to listening to all of your podcasts. Thank you, Bob. Are our transcripts available? Yes, I'm a fast reader and a bit hearing challenged by huh. age and way too much loud classic rock listening. I'm with That's you. a good reason. Yeah, with you, Bob. We do not have transcripts. That would be something uh, for the future. I think that would be. Yeah, I think Google does voice to text, automatic voice to text these days. I don't know how well it works on podcasts, but. Yeah, there are certain services you can use, but they're, yeah, they're probably a little bit spotty. But that is something I would love to do. As many of you listeners may know, there's a service called Patreon that a lot of podcasts and other types of entertainment and creative projects use uh, to raise money you people can join and give a little bit a month or a little bit per episode and uh, help fund things and then mm-hmm. that would be one of those yeah, things like that yeah I, I would definitely put on that list for a future uh, patreon all right now we go to bill bill from uh, virginia bill is one of our favorites he's a i believe he's a double if or double super if or double super if Philip and Matt, the other evening, I was gazing at the nighttime sky. This is something I think all of our listeners have in common. It's excellent. Also, you probably don't live in New York. <laughs> <laughs> the other evening, I was gazing at the nighttime sky, marveling at the intersection of that moment of my life with the space-time continuum. Woo! Wow. <laughs> and this thought occurred to me. What the if... When looking at the sky, you could point to the spot in the sky where the Big Bang happened. That's a tough one, right? You can basically point anywhere. Uh, yep, that's right. It's, um, this is a, a, a common difficulty in thinking about the Big Bang model, is that our notion of an explosion, of which we think of the Big Bang as being, is that it comes from a particular spot. But that's not right, and this is this is hard to to think about. So instead of the un- when we say the universe is expanding, we don't mean it's all hurtling out from one spot, but rather that every galaxy is getting further away from every galaxy, and this has the peculiar effect that no matter where you are in the universe, it looks like everything is rushing away from you. In our three dimensional mind, there is no way. To imagine something expanding that doesn't have a point from which it is expanding. Yeah, this is not a this is not a thing that we're used to thinking about, and it takes some practice to get your brain to wrap around it. And indeed, when I teach this, my students always get very upset, and I just <laughs> have to accept that I'm going to have a lot of grumpy faces for a while. <laughs> so they blame you. That's, that's right. Exactly, it's my fault. <laughs> Yeah, there is no center to the universe, and this is there's actually uh, there's a special term for this, which is the cosmological principle, and it has the side effect of every spot in the universe looking like the center. If you think of it that way, you can actually, if you want to do this game, you can just declare yourself to be the center of the universe, and no one can uh, say otherwise. <laughs> you know, there are some people that do that. I guess the closest way I've come to being able to understand this is they say, for instance, the Earth has a center, 
But if you mm-hmm. just think of the surface of the Earth, only the surface of the Earth, if that was your entire universe, and you said, where's the center of the surface of the Earth? There isn't one. Yeah, that's a very good analogy. Right. Yeah, as you're walking around the surface of the Earth, you say, where is the, the middle? Right. And this is, again, something, this is a problem with maps, right? We're used to looking at maps of the surface of the Earth that are arranged in, in a particular way. If you're from the United States or Western Europe, you think of the, the middle of the Earth's surface as being like the Atlantic, right? But that's, that's a totally arbitrary choice. You can put the center of the surface of the Earth in Mongolia or, God help us, New Jersey, and it's all, it's all perfectly valid. So it's exactly the same way with, uh, with the Big Bang. Right, or Times Square. Or Times Square, yeah. yes. <laughs> Still, we could say, well, yeah, okay, that's the surface of the Earth, but clearly the Earth has a center. But that's, a no- that's an extra dimension. So is it that that's in right. the fourth dimension there is a center? Yeah, so the fourth, well, the fourth dimension um, is typically considered to be time. So we'd we'd say that uh, the universe does have a point of origin in time, because there's a moment at which it comes into existence. So that's, that would be a center in the fourth dimension. Again, hard to think about. You can go to our website, whattheif.com, and um, uh, search for or look for the tag Big Bang or cosmology, and all the different episodes that we've had that touch on this, you know, there are different times we sort of tangentially touch it and branch mm-hmm. out. Uh, look for if scenarios that, that touch on this episode, if you want to understand a little bit more. Diedrich, who is in Norway, tells us, I teach maths, physics, and also have a STEM class at the high school level. So a high school shout out to the high school science teachers. Yeah, seriously. It can be and Didrick says it can be quite a challenge sometimes, but mostly just a lot of fun. If my what the if ever got featured, it would be really cool if you could pass on a shout out. So we're just going to do it now. Yep. Why wait? This counts. It says, give a shout out to all the state teachers of the year 2016 who I met at International Space Camp in Alabama. Wow. All right. Shout all right. out to space, International Space Camp in Alabama. Yeah, shout out given. Yeah. I, I, I assume that was in Huntsville. That seems likely, yeah. Yeah, the NASA facility. It was such a pleasure meeting so many great teachers. And maybe one of them listens to What the If as well. I hope so. By the way, if any of you are teachers or know teachers, I am very interested in, uh, I'm, or even just, I'm curious on your thoughts, uh, listeners. I feel like this show would be good for a certain level of student. I would hope so, right? And uh, I hope we keep it, you know, PG-13 enough to make that doable. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> there was one time somebody praised us for having intellectual bleep talking. <laughs> intellectual S talking. I think I was talking about how academics fight with each other or something like that. A number of teachers have written to us and said they're going to share it with their students. And I'd love to hear if you have done that, what have they thought? And if you know, anyway, I'm just interested in getting it out into sort of the educational world. 
commenting. And if you have suggestions, if you think, oh, it's not, it's a little too high. We're not doing basic enough for it to reach a certain level. I'd love to love to know that. Okay. Deidre continues. I have, I think I had asked him, how did you discover our show? Uh, and he says, I actually have no idea how I discovered your show. <laughs> Just wake up one morning. Yeah. And there's a new podcast on uh, your phone. <laughs> it worked. Our hacking has worked. Uh, it might have been mentioned on the Infinite Monkey Cage. Now, that is a show with Brian Cox on the BBC. I believe it's on British, British podcast mm-hmm. and radio show, I assume, in the UK. I don't think we were. If we were, that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, that would be great. <laughs> but he says, I can't remember. Uh, I do mention it to my friends. So hopefully I can get you a few more listeners over here in Norway. Say hi to Matt and let him know that his book, Einstein's War, is on the shelves of the most renowned bookstore <gasps> in Oslo. Oh, how exciting. And also on my own bookshelf. That's even better. This is an if that he had thrown us that I just think blows my mind. And and I'm looking forward to doing this at some point. What the if we were given a chance to completely change all base units in physics? Does he mean meter or like the fine structure constant? Let's see. He says, I think units in science are very exciting and also quite confusing. How much do they affect our view of the world? My students oh, also okay. my students get quite confused that the same symbols are used for quantities and units. Here's an example. I wonder if, for an example, an American would view thirty thousand feet as the same distance as I, a Norwegian, would think of ten thousand meters. Mm-hmm. At some point, high numbers just turn into many. Yeah, that's right. So this is a is a significant issue. Units do shape the way we see the world. To anybody who's tried to explain, you know, to their kids why there's eight ounces in a cup, but 16 ounces in a pound, and those ounces aren't the same thing, it's uh, extremely, extremely challenging, right? Uh, or like 20,000 leagues under the sea. Does anyone have any sense of how far that is? That's uh, that completely changes the way you think about these things. And sometimes there's very practical results, like the the famous Mars orbiter that had a unit conversion error and ended up, I think, crashing into the planet, if I remember. Yes. Right. Yeah. But it was definitely destroyed. This is partially unfamiliarity, right? If you're not used to using a particular unit, but sometimes even physicists will change the units they're working with so you can think about things more clearly and not get distracted by numbers. So for instance, the speed of light is a really big number, okay? Three times 10 to the eighth meters per second, 186,292 miles per second. And those are kind of awkward numbers to hold in your head. So if you're doing calculations where you use the speed of light a lot, there's a trick you do where you set it equal to one. Uh-huh. You just okay. say, it is, I'm, I'm changing my units and the speed of light is now one. And what that does is then the speed of light, C, just vanishes from all your calculations and you don't have to worry about it. Uh-huh. Uh, the trick, of course, is remembering that you've done that and adding it back in at the end. I even, in, in, uh, 
I guess it's two episodes prior to this one, uh, Kirby Runyon was on, and I calculated very quickly something, and then he reminded me, oh, but yeah, you used miles when you said you were using meters per second or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like we realized, right. oh, um, right there. Yeah, in fact, so as you know, as you say, I was just traveling and I was in uh, the United Kingdom, which kind of has a mishmash of metric and imperial units. When I was on the, the highway and we're driving, the speed was given as 60 M slash H. I'm thinking, well, is that miles per hour, <laughs> meters per hour? Wow. <laughs> it's not clear, right? I mean, there's there's a reason most of the world uses the metric system, because it is efficient and easy to, to get things done. And these kinds of calculations really do matter, uh, not just in terms of efficiency, but as our, as our listener says, in terms of sort of conceptual clarity, keeping track of what's going on in your head. Uh, these really do matter. Yeah, yeah. Another one that comes up very often in our show here is uh, the astronomical unit yeah, yeah, distance from the Earth to the Sun. I will say the most the easiest one for me, I have a couple of uh, uh, measuring sticks or units that I use, and that's because we live in New York, and so there are tall buildings everywhere, and I live in a building that is seven stories high, seven floors high, and I'd heard that 10 feet is kind of a Nice number to say, a, you know, one story equals 10 feet. So a seven-story building is about 70 feet high. I was reading about a rocket, and it said it was uh, 300 feet or something. I was like, okay, that's 30 stories. I can actually look out the window and see a 30-story building, or I can imagine one. When mm-hmm. it gets really big, I use the Empire State Building, which is about 1,000 feet. Okay, yeah. Right? If I hear something mm-hmm. is like 12,000 feet in diameter or something, I can actually imagine... 12 members. Another one laying down horizontally, Manhattan Island, which well, I haven't, when I look across the river, I can see the whole island horizontally laid out, and that's 12 miles. So it's another okay. one I can use if I hear something's 100 miles or 120 miles. I can say, oh, I can six. Also, I hate to say it, but a football field. Uh, <laughs> the is classic. It's a, a great one because we've all seen those. I never saw it as a player. No way. all right so thank you Diedrich from Norway he says by the way uh, it's always a pleasure listening to you guys thank you and I am nearing completion of the entire backlog oh my goodness I didn't know that was possible (laughs) in fact a number of people have written in and say they they actually they go back and start listening and make their way all the way up so that's, that's amazing it is by no means a serial adventure this is a parallel adventure but uh, that's fantastic. And he says it's all great stuff. Thank you. By the way, if you do feel this way, if you enjoy the show and you haven't left a review, you know how to do it. If you don't know how to do it, you can look it up or you can email us or contact us. Please leave us a review wherever you can. That would be super helpful. Gabriel writes in. Let's see. I don't know where Gabriel Gabriel, I don't know where you're from. Gabriel, from somewhere on planet Earth. Probably. Subject, curved flight paths. Message, only recently started listening, but I love your show. Thank you, Gabriel. Slight correction. Up. Oh, you know, we don't get as many of these as I thought we would. So feel free to send in corrections. Slight correction from Gabriel in episode 11. 
That's a long way back. You say the flight path on a plane's screen looks curved because it's trying to represent traveling around a three-dimensional sphere on a two-dimensional screen. In fact, the flight path might be curved, even on a two-dimensional surface. It is shorter in some cases, say from New York to Tel Aviv, to fly up to a higher latitude and then east, then back down to the lower latitude, then to fly straight east because the circumference is shorter at higher latitudes. I know it's late. since We're up to episode 109. <laughs> but I uh, thought you might be interested to know. Again, love the show. Keep up the great material. Thank you, Gabriel. So, yes, what he's saying is the Earth is wider in the middle than... That's right, yeah. The Earth has uh, a bulge in the middle. Love handles. Right. <laughs> it's, it's got a bad bod, as they say. Right. <laughs> yeah, so this is a, this is a trick. Uh, you can do that's worth doing for very long haul flights, as he says, say, uh, New York to Tel Aviv. So this is an important reminder that a lot of the convenient, a lot of the the, uh, the things we think about the world, scientific facts, are not quite right, but they're close enough for normal use, right? So saying the world is, uh, the earth is a sphere is not really true, right? It's it's not only got the bulge in the center, but it's got lumps and dips and all sorts of strange features. But for most purposes, it's uh, it's convenient to to think of the Earth as a sphere. Do you have do you have any idea when did they discover that? Like well, a... Newton figured it out um, in principle in by 1685 wow. when he publishes the Principia. And he figures it out. So, if the as the Earth spins, there's centrifugal force near the equator from that spinning, and that would deform the Earth into a bulge. And then that bulge pulls on the Moon in a slightly different way than the rest of the Earth, which is what gives us part of our tidal forces. So it was inferred. Um, a long time ago. And then in the late 18th century, there were two famous expeditions to go measure this directly to try and figure out exactly how warped the surface of the Earth was. This is actually goes back to our, our, our previous letter. And one of the uh, effects or one of the goals of those expeditions was to figure out what the meter, what the, the true value of the meter was, because the length of the meter was originally defined as one forty millionth of the circumference of the Earth. So you have to measure the circumference of the Earth very, uh, very precisely. And if anyone's interested in this story, I'd recommend Ken Alder's book is terrific, as well as uh, The Man Who Flattened the Earth. There's some. These are great stories. They they involve adventures and the French Revolution and people getting arrested and you know meter sticks. You can't beat it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that the peak of that (laughs) list was meter sticks. It's like meter sticks. Yeah, excellent. By the way, that reminds me. uh, A lot of times we do get to touch on history, and I feel like we don't get to do it as often as we could. You are a historian of science, Mm -hmm. so listeners, if you do you enjoy the history? Do you want to hear more? Are there particular periods of history or particular uh, how certain things uh, were discovered? Uh, if that's the kind of thing you're interested in, feel free to send that also as an if, maybe just a question or even just, you know, it doesn't have to be what the if, blah, 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 blah. It might just be, hey, you know, what do you know about, how did we find magnetism or mm-hmm. something yeah. like that? How did this come to be? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that would be fine. And we can, we can easily create a uh, if scenario around that. All right. Nathan writes in from Australia. Wonderful. Nathan from Adelaide, Australia. That's a wonderful name. I love the ideas you have and how well the consequences are thought out. The recent episode with the Star Trek replicator was good. And my favorite is the alien Big Mac wrapper. <laughs> I do enjoy it. Well, who doesn't love a Big Mac? Of course. Yeah. Exactly. So you go to our whattheif.com. You can uh, find those episodes. And by the way, you can, I keep saying contact us. You can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. Or you can just go to whattheif.com, click on contact, and, and type in your message right there. We will get it. And Nathan asked, uh, his, he had a suggestion, which uh, we have not done yet. What the if Jupiter became a sun? I read somewhere a while ago that Jupiter could potentially become a sun if its mass was a bit bigger or denser. I was wondering what that would entail. Would we have no more nights? Would it be a brighter night? Would days be longer? What would our seasons be like? How would it affect our orbit and the orbits of the other planets? Thank you, guys. Love the ideas you come up with. So the, the, the movie is 2010, I believe? I think that's right. Yeah, the, um, the, the sequel to Arthur C. Clarke's famous 2001 is 2010, right. in which the, uh, the alien monoliths do precisely what our listener has suggested here, which is they turn Jupiter um, into a sun. And I think the... It's been a while since I read it, but I think this, the implication is that they increase the density of Jupiter. The difference between something like Jupiter and the sun is whether or not there's sufficient pressure at its core to start hydrogen fusing, to start the fusion processes that generate heat and light. So uh, one way to get Jupiter cooking would be to add a whole lot more mass. And you'd have to add actually a couple more Jupiters so a significant amount. Okay. Oh. But an alternative would be is if you can compress everything more, then the pressures get high enough to start those fusion reactions. And once they get going, they can usually be self-sustaining. So I think that's what happens in, um, uh, in 2010. But I only, like I said, I only remember it vaguely. But if so, what we would have is we'd have another we'd have a smaller sun in the sky, right? Because Jupiter is still a good distance away. So it's not like there would be, it's not like Tatooine where you'd have two suns that look very similar. But we'd have probably something, um, it would not be as large or as bright as the moon. Okay. But whereas the moon goes around once a month, and there's sort of, you know, cycles of life that adapt to that, uh, it takes Jupiter about 12 years to go around. Hmm. So we would have, instead of having a dark sky once a month, which is what we get with our moon, you'd get a dark sky once every 12 years. For about six years. Exactly, right. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it'd be kind of like the uh, the seasons in Game of Thrones, right? These extremely long periods of time uh, in terms of human lifespan, right? So uh, over the course of a lifetime, you might only see a dark sky six times. Interesting. Well, yeah, and you said it's not it's not as bright as the moon. 
Yeah. It would be a little bit, so it would be a little bit, we would have, in, in addition to moon, in, in addition to the normal moonlight we have, it might be one and a half times brighter. Yeah, I'd have to do the calculations um, yeah. to see. Uh, but yes, it would be, it would be like brighter than, a, or um, not quite as bright as a full moon, right? but it would be there every night for years at a time. Interesting. Yeah, that would be. And, and of course, I, I always, I, I can't help but think, speaking of history or whatever, how that would have, all the different kinds of mythologies we would have had had that been there. Even though Ju- Jupiter is there, people, the ancient people saw Jupiter. Oh, sure. Yeah. That certainly would have shaken things up. Uh, <laughs> Sergio from Mystery. Oh, nope. Sergio from Portugal. Fantastic. Mm. global audience we have yeah it's amazing it is amazing to me sergio says what the if uh subject what the if we had extended senses message hi there dear philip and matt i am writing and listening to you from the distant lands of portugal i've been listening to your podcast since about episode 30 thank you and absolutely enjoy it that's wonderful thank you very much for the fun and educational approach to such diverse science themes. Here are some suggestions for now. What if we had extended senses, like we could see infrared and ultraviolet, or we could hear, this is, I like this, we could hear infrared uh, or ultrasound. Um, If we could feel, hear, see, sense electromagnetic radiation, if we could feel magnetic fluxes, Keep up the good work. Yeah. Now, again, we, we have done some episodes like this. What if you could That's see right. I think radio. we did an episode where we could see radio, right? Yeah. Yes. And I think we did another one where if you could see space-time. Oh, right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Cool. I, I would particularly be a fan of magnetic fluxes, um, if you could feel those, because they're, our modern society has so many magnetic fields uh, that we're sitting in all the time, but totally unaware of, right? I mean, I think it would be very cool, like the, the RFID locks where you like tap your card and it automatically unlocks or something like that. I would love to see the pulse of uh, magnetic fields that come off of that each time. Right? Yeah, I think that would be that would be very cool. Or the one surrounding your phone right now, or the microphone I'm talking into, has a very nice magnetic field around that. It would be great. You could tell whether or not something was on at a, at a glance <laughs> to see whether or not uh, the magnetic field is being generated. I think that would be a lot of fun. And I should say, there's a, a body modification technique, which is a little creepy that some people have done, which is to surgically implant magnets uh, under the skin of their fingertips. So then the magnetic fields will very gently tug on those magnets. So then they can literally feel magnetic fields. And you'd only be able to sense fairly strong fields. But in principle, that's pretty cool. And your own body generates some kind of a, a magnetic field, right? Or electrical? Yeah, more of an electric field than a, a magnetic field, but right. yeah. Now, seeing it is one thing, but feeling it is a whole... No- I mean, if you could feel all the magnetic fields around you, that would just be bizarre. Yeah, I think that'd be very cool. 
And actually, in terms of seeing, for instance, you mentioned you could just look at something and see if it's on. That actually probably would have made people more appreciate energy conservation, for instance, more. Well, I think that's that's definitely true, right? Because there's, um, you know, a big problem in terms of energy conservation is that these days, a lot of devices keep themselves on even when you switch them off. So like when you turn your printer off or your laptop off, it actually stays on, right? So it would be interesting to see uh, to see that, to see what things are actually switching on and off and in what circumstances. And that would be pretty cool. I remember, for instance, the Apple TV, uh, one of Steve Jobs' uh, original ideas for, I think, starting with the, well, even, on, for instance, the computers, you know, they, they started using sleep. You could put the computer to sleep instead of shutting it down. When the iPod came around, he had the idea to not have a power switch, that it would simply, you would use it and it would, to save the battery, it would, it would on its own go to sleep so to speak, and they continued that right up through, for instance, the Apple TV, until people got so m- much more energy conscious about this notion that things are not actually being shut down when you don't need them. And so they added, uh, I don't know, a few years ago, the uh, the ability to actually put the thing to sleep. That's what I think people don't think about. It. Yeah, that's kind of amazing that they had to put in a special option to turn it off. That tells us Amazing things about, I don't know, the way we consume energy, I guess. Well, I would say what all it does is it speeds it up. I mean, I think it, it would go to sleep at a certain point, but this allowed you to put it immediately. And I must say that feeling is it's much more satisfying. <laughs> you do actually go to bed. You click sleep. Ah, finally. Stop the YouTube, please. Ben, greetings from Red Deer, Alberta. Amazing. Mm. Ben says, love the podcast. I found you guys through uh, Twist This Week in Science. Oh, great. Fantastic. Which you were a guest on, Dr. Kiki show, twist.org, T-W-I-S.org. Mm-hmm. Dr. Kiki, the host of that, has been on our show a couple times, and we um, did a fabulous combo episode with them just a couple times ago uh, with the whole crew there, Dr. Kiki, Blair, and Justin. Let's see. Oh, and, and uh, Ben says, only a few more episodes left to input our entire show into the old neocortex. <laughs> Amazing. You must have a very large uh, and perhaps now rotting neocortex. And Ben asks, uh, he submitted this idea, what the if after puberty the age of your body depended on many factors like energy output, physical stress, and mental stress? but on an exponential rate. Like a hard right. workout could cost you six months of life. <laughs> uh, uh, by the way, that is how I feel, that the hard workout <laughs> doesn't gain you six months. It costs right, it actually you. destroys you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he says, uh, like a hereditary mitochondrial defect that affects the rate of age. Can't say how much I love the cast. Also, weather is mostly overcast. Haha. <laughs> In Alberta. Keep up the great work, Ben. What do you think of that? Yes, I should say there were theories for a long time um, similar to this idea that people were born with a certain amount of kind of doability and they would use that up over time. Sloth, for instance, was actually a good thing because it meant you would live longer. 
Whereas if you went out and cut down trees or something, you would use up those resources. And without getting too political, there are major figures in the American political landscape who still subscribe to this idea that it's bad to exercise because it'll shorten your life. Which is, of course, precisely the opposite of what we, we know to be true, but neither here nor there. Uh, that said, it would be a really good reason to go to college and get a desk job, right? Yes, I've I've been following that. Yeah. <laughs> and exponen- if we want to do it exponential, then the difference is enormous, right? And I would imagine there would be huge social prestige from not having to do anything, because if it's exponential, then walking across the room to get a glass of water will have a huge impact on the course of your life. The people who who can will literally just lie in bed all the time. Although we would still have this flaw we have of not actually appreciating like short-term versus long-term, short-term game versus long-term game, whatever. You like there are kids who I hate to sound like an old grandpa, but kids spoke today. Yes. And like there couldn't be any more evidence that smoking causes cancer and stuff. So I, I would imagine that people would still like they they would do crazy things knowing that yeah, it is exponential, but it, unless it was exponential that you felt it immediately, like you died because you walked too far. Well, yeah, and maybe you'd get a conspicuous consumption kind of thing. So nowadays we talk about conspicuous consumption for like someone who has a lot of money will spend money pointlessly just to impress other people, (laughs) to let them know how much money they have. So conspicuous consumption would be walking at a brisk pace. and you Or you see someone taking the stairs and you'd be like, wow, she's really tough. Look at that. (laughs) And likewise in reverse, if... And, you know, if uh, exercise, if, the, if it being a beneficial thing, if it was exponentially beneficial beyond what it is now, that would also be pretty incredible. Uh, that would be something else. And actually, that would be an interesting, that might be an interesting what if to do a, a full treatment of, is if we got exponential returns on things like exercise. Um, that would, I, I might actually go to the gym that is literally (laughs) on my hallway. Um, Just to wrap up, I want to throw in one more. Brad writes in, subject, what if we spent more on science and research? The proposed military budget for 2020 is over $700 billion. That's the United Mm -hmm. military budget in the U.S. What if we spent that money 700 billion on science. Yeah. I assume you mean civilian science because I assume the military is. Yes, that's probably right. Yeah. We do have, I can say, coming up, uh, I don't have the exact date yet, but uh, Casey Dreyer from the Planetary Society. He's the head of uh, the Planetary Society founded by Carl Sagan, and uh, they do a lot of educational outreach and they do a lot of lobbying. I actually got to participate this year, earlier this year, in going up to Capitol Hill and meeting with representatives to push for more science education, public science education. Oh, fantastic. That'd yeah. be great. Yeah. And uh, he's coming on, and so that is something we're going to throw at him, and it's sort of like, what if... It's a question you've asked, you know, what if we had just a hell of a lot more money 
Oh, I blew the, did I blow the PG-13? A heck of a lot more money. <laughs> Thank you all for writing in. These are wonderful. Matt, do you have a, do you have a thought for all our listeners and potential writers? Follow the consequences. Whatever weird thing you come up with, be rigorous about it. Uh, and you'll end up somewhere interesting. Or, well, weird. <laughs> That's good. Weird is interesting, I think. I, I put that in. Not necessarily safe. So again, be safe. Yes, that's right. <laughs> wear your goggles, wear your seatbelt. And uh, but we are all crash test dummies for thought experiments. <laughs> yeah, whether you like it or not. Good way. Thank you so much for all writing in again. If you haven't before, or even if you have, uh, stay in touch. Uh, we are building a community here of just really smart, curious people, and I love that. On Twitter, we are What The If Show. And by the way, there, um, people also comment. We sometimes have uh, fun conversations there. And I share a ton of science news and just interesting tidbits that I find in the news sphere, on the Twitter sphere. And again, our website, whattheif.com. You can go there and contact us through that. You can also hear all our episodes. And you can email us at feedback at whattheif.com. As always, next week, we have no idea. There's an if coming at us, and it might be from one of you, flying towards our face. (laughs) (laughs) And as we try to imagine what that is, we put on our safety goggles, not knowing what it might be. And we have the eyewash standing by. Mm -hmm. But... We cannot help but get very emotional about it and begin to tremble and ask ourselves big questions that cause us to scream into the universe. What, what the, the is?